Hello, this is Dean Hess, Managing Editor of Respiratory Care. We are pleased that this month's podcast is sponsored by Massimo. Massimo is helping clinicians and care teams provide excellent care for their patients, both in the hospital and at home. With advanced monitoring parameters and powerful connectivity tools, Massimo offers a range of hospital and home-based solutions designed to support chronic care management, surge capacity efforts, and more. Whether inside or beyond the hospital, Massimo's remote monitoring solutions and hospital automation platform help providers seamlessly manage multiple patients simultaneously, providing data to help them identify when intervention may be required. Visit Massimo.com to learn more. And now let's hear what is in the May issue of the journal. Hi, welcome to the Restory Care podcast and editor's commentary for May of 2022. I'm Rich Branson, Editor-in-Chief of Restory Care. We appreciate you joining us. This month's editor's choice is a comparison of patient ventilator synchrony between neurally adjusted ventilatory assist and variable pressure support. Vargas and others studied 13 subjects with mild to moderate ARDS, evaluating the coefficient for variability of tidal volume as well as asynchronies. They found no differences in pressure time product or asynchrony index, but noted a reduced variability of tidal volume with variable pressure support ventilation. These differences can likely be explained by the operation of the two different modes. NAVA uses the EDI signal both to trigger and cycle the breath, whereas Variable pressure support ventilation continues to use typical flow triggering and flow termination based on a percentage of the initial inspiratory flow, probably creating less variability in the tidal volume with pressure support. Marilis Cabadevilla and Gamma de Abreu provided an accompanying editorial. They detail the complexities of comparing modes and the myriad of measurements that can be used to evaluate a synchrony. They also lament the lack of standardization of nomenclature and argue for consensus on definitions and methods for defining and reporting the results of studies on asynchrony. Lou and colleagues provide a retrospective review of data from 97 pediatric intensive care units regarding the use of Heliox during the treatment of critical asthma. Of the over 40,000 subjects included in the study, 1,070 or 2.5% received Heliox. Approximately one-third of these subjects required mechanical ventilation and no differences in outcomes related to administration of Heliox were identified. They concluded that the use of Heliox was uncommon and not associated with any improvement in outcomes. An important finding demonstrated that the mortality was highest, greater than 90% in those asthmatic subjects who were intubated in the pre-hospital care scenario. Alsuba and Reader provide commentary. They point to the multiple confounding variables that impact important outcomes in critical asthma, which limit the power of this study. They find the work to be an important stepping stone for defining the current adjunctive treatments for critical asthma in pediatrics, which could guide the design of future trials. I think it's important to remember that the use of Heliox has its greatest impact when the patient breathes spontaneously. And once the ventilator starts to do the work, um, the addition of Heliox may improve aerosol therapy but the work is taken over by the ventilator. Ando et al. studied 16 subjects with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis 
measuring standard spirometry and ultrasound to measure thickness of the rectus abdominis muscle. They found a positive correlation between the percent change in the rectus abdominis muscle thickness as well, and vital capacity in FEV1. They concluded that ultrasonography of the rectus abdominis might predict a reduction in vital capacity and guide therapy, in, including initiation of NIV. Duskun and others evaluated respiratory muscle endurance in subjects with obesity hypoventilation syndrome using the incremental load test with and without non-invasive ventilation. They compared measures of respiratory muscle strength, six-minute walk distance, and quality of life measures. They found that patients with obesity hypoventilation syndrome had a lower respiratory muscle endurance compared to controls, but that subjects with obesity hyperventilation syndrome who used NIV had improved respiratory muscle endurance. You and colleagues evaluated YouTube videos on pulmonary rehabilitation for quality and reliability. Videos were scored using the MDISCERN score and pulmonary rehabilitation for COPD specific score known as the PRSS. The authors reviewed 62 videos, the majority of which were uploaded by healthcare professionals. A little more than half of the videos were informational, which scored higher in the MDISCERN and PRSS scores. Videos were considered reliable, but were often judged as biased and of low quality content. They suggest high quality informational videos should be developed to take advantage of the ubiquitous access to YouTube. Clearly, the use of social media has, is a blessing and a curse, which we've seen throughout COVID-19. But the ability of telemedicine and perhaps videos posted to the internet may be very important for our patients who remain at home for pulmonary rehabilitation. Dennis and coworkers measured perceptions of COPD subjects naive to NIV during exercise. Participants completed a five-point Likert scale before and after using NIV during exercise. Subjects reported a positive effect of non-invasive ventilation on breathlessness as well as exercise performance. They concluded that non-invasive ventilation was associated with symptom relief, but that non-invasive ventilation might be too difficult to use outside of a healthcare environment. In, the, in this study, they brought the patients to the hospital to teach them to use NIV and to do the trial. Locke et al. proposed a modified version of the revised ALS functioning rating scale in subjects not currently using non-invasive ventilation. The modified ALS FRSRM included additional re questions regarding symptoms of nocturnal hypoventilation to create a nocturnal hypoventilation item added to the score. The additional item corresponded to forced vital capacity percent less than 65%, and the score might predict respiratory decline in patients currently not using non-invasive ventilation. Akar and Yamanaglu evaluated the utility of the Rapid Shallow Breathing Index in prediction of intubation in the emergency department. They found that the change in Rapid Shallow Breathing Index over 30 minutes, older age, and an SpO2 less than 92% and heart rate greater than 100 were associated with intubation. They suggest that the RSBI can be used in the emergency department to predict non-invasive ventilation failure in patients with acute respiratory failure in the ED. Tan et al. performed a bench study of the mask leak test of a non-invasive ventilator used with eight different masks not recommended by the manufacturer. They used three different inspiratory pressure settings at a constant PEEP level. There were no differences in synchrony variables. However, accuracy of the displayed tidal volume was impacted by some of the masks. Many of these non-invasive ventilators, as sometimes referred to as 
BiPAP devices rely on, on knowing the leak to estimate, not measure, tidal volume. So this is an important issue. Barbosa and others provide a systematic review of the value of community-based rehabilitation programs in subjects with COPD. They evaluated 10 randomized controlled trials encompassing over 9,000 participants. They concluded that community-based pulmonary rehabilitation programs tended to result in superior health-related quality of life and reduction in symptoms compared to control interventions, but these findings were inconsistent with a very low certainty of evidence. Clearly, one of our goals going forward is going to be to do more research in the impact of pulmonary rehabilitation. Wheeler and colleagues provide a narrative review of the impact of patent ductus arteriosus repair on short-term respiratory outcomes. They review the pathophysiologic manifestations, treatment options, and management of hemodynamically significant PDA in preterm infants. The reviews consider surgical procedures as well as alterations in pulmonary blood flow and gas exchange as a result. White, Durzo et al. engaged in a pro-con discussion regarding the role of point-of-care ultrasound on esophageal intubations in pre-hospital care with McMullen et al. This includes original arguments and short rebuttals defending each position. The pro side argues for the ability of ultrasound to avoid unintended esophageal intubation in pre-hospital care, while McMullen and colleagues argue that the standard of care, exhaled carbon dioxide, is more readily available, easier to implement, and is less prone to operator variability. This is an interesting pro-con in that you have one group from Mass General, predominantly anesthesiologists, and the other group, emergency medicine physicians from the University of Cincinnati. I want to thank you for continuing to subscribe to the podcast and for listening in. We try to use as much social media as we can to improve our outreach and look forward to hearing from you. Here in the spring of 2022, as we look back on the last two years and now deal with the environmental, financial, and emotional impact of COVID-19, we encourage you to continue to be safe and protect yourself while you care for these very sick patients. Thanks again for joining us. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues. Thank you.